You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Church Road and Pleasant Green Road. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now, here's Pastor Bob with this week's sermon. Thanks, choir. Thank you so much. It's good to have a friend like Jesus, isn't it? I mean, somebody that can come alongside and, and knows your heart, right? Um, I, I came in this morning, and, and I, I actually thought about it before I showed up at church. I thought about this tie. And, uh, and I've already been approached. You got it. Um, I've already been approached about the color of it this morning. Some are happy, some are sad. It doesn't really matter. It matters. The idea was that it sort of matched the shirt. So um, I was even asked if Debbie dressed me this morning. No, she did not. This is all my fault. So, um, but it's it's one of those two hours, and and it really doesn't matter whether I've got a tie on or the color of the tie or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, what, What it really comes down to is what is our relationship with Christ, and what is that friendship like? So we can have a friendship with a school an allegiance to that. But when, when all is said and done, where is our real allegiance? Is it to Christ? Do we have a friend in Jesus? Um, I, I, I am competitive. Uh, some of you may not know that. Debbie does. Um, but I, I get competitive. And, and so if I'm, if I'm out playing, like Scott and I were playing spike ball over at a Sunday school fellowship a couple weeks ago, and I'm ready to dive. Now, this body is not designed to dive. Not anymore, because now I dive, earth shakes kind of thing. So it's, um, it can get bad. But, but that's the, the competitive nature of me wants to, to dive in and do something, to be a part of it and, and to, to jump in with all that I've got. And so I, I am really competitive, and so I have to kind of tone that down occasionally. Now, whether it's at a Sunday school fellowship or you know, playing cornhole or, or whatever it happens to be, I've got to tone down that competitiveness. And, and it really came out when I was doing some coaching with baseball and, and some different things because there is a part of me that says, just keep pushing. And then there's a part when, on those rare occasions where you're ahead by 10, 15 runs or so, that you go, okay, I've got to show some mercy and take it easy. And so I had some other coaches get mad at me in the middle of that because I would take out the guys that started the game when I was coaching some baseball. I would take those guys out. I'd put in the guys that were really young and inexperienced, and I would just push them. And I'm thinking, okay, well, they've got a lot to learn and a lot to figure out. But the other coach is getting mad because we're still scoring and still doing things. He's like, you got to quit doing that. I'm like, well, I'm trying to teach. You need to play better. Good or bad, you know, I have a hard time with, with mercy. Sometimes it doesn't kick in. And for, for a lot of us, when we have to wrestle with the idea of mercy, there are a lot of things that come into play. When do you extend mercy? When do you give it? When do you not give it? 
And so that's the, the question. Because we live in a world, this tension, this cultural tension that we're in right now, when we start talking about um, state and federal budgets and immigration and terrorism and national security and all that kind of stuff, we have to live within that tension of what do we do with Matthew 28, 19 and 20, where it says, go and make disciples. And so part of our job is to go into the marketplace and to win people to Christ. And then we, have, we wrestle with the other side of that equation, which says, guard yourself and guard the security, the sovereignty of your nation in the middle of that. And what do you do with that tension? And so that's what, where I think mercy kicks in. Say, how much mercy are we supposed to have and where do we cut off that mercy? Well, I'm not going to answer the question for you. You say, why not? You're standing up there. You ought to. Because we get to wrestle with it together. And God calls us to, to be that voice for Him in a world that doesn't know Him. And so whether it's somebody that has moved here from somewhere else or somebody that lives around the corner that has always lived here, they still receive mercy. They are still deserving of God's mercy because God extends that mercy. So we're going to look at this a little bit, and, and it, it ought to cause us to be a little uncomfortable in our seats because we're going to wrestle with the idea of what do I do in my life as I go to the store or I go to a ball game or I go somewhere else. How much do I extend the mercy of God to people that I may not even think deserve it? And I make that call. Jonah, as we start this series, Jonah is one of those guys that's put in that spot. And to, to understand the history of this, got to understand that Jonah had no affection for the Assyrians. None at all. The Assyrians had been a thorn in the flesh of, of Israel to that point. And so when God calls him, there is this tension in Jonah that says, they don't deserve mercy, I don't need to extend mercy, and they need to be no part of God, and I don't want to spend any time in eternity with them. He wanted to put a stop to it. That was his disposition. And so when God calls him to go to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, it is 400 miles north of Babylon, but it's 600 miles from Jerusalem. He's saying, I want you to travel there, and I want you to declare their wickedness. You may think, well, that doesn't sound real fun. And it doesn't sound real great to, to go and declare their wickedness. But Jonah knew that if he goes and he does what God says that he should do, that, that things are going to change. And if for Jonah, who doesn't want change to take place, doesn't want the Assyrian people, the people of Nineveh, to receive God's mercy, it creates a tension on the inside of Jonah. And so they had been, um, this, this group that he was supposed to go see in Nineveh were culturally advanced. They were, they were wicked. They were um, terroristic. They were exceedingly bad. And they, were, they, they went against the national security of Israel. And yet God calls Jonah to step out and go. Would you stand as we read just a couple of 
verses from this, this beginning of the book of Jonah, starting in chapter 1, verse 1. And I want us to ask this question or think about this idea. What is the biggest tragedy that could happen in somebody's life? Biggest tragedy. I think we could answer that very simply. If God calls us to do something and we decide to do something else, we miss out on what God intended for our life. So, if Jonah pursues what he wants to pursue, is it a tragedy? Let's read. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, get up, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. Let's pray. Father, we we start here. And Father, we recognize you as God. And we recognize you as the one who offers mercy. And so, Father, I pray this morning as we look through this chapter, as we study your word, Father, you would reveal to us where we need to extend mercy. God, you would reveal to us where something may need to change on the inside, where everything on the outside looks fine, but on the inside, it needs to be adjusted. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak to us clearly this morning. And, Father, we would recognize not only do others need the mercy of God, but we ourselves need the mercy of God. And so, Father, I pray that you would work to your glory in this place this morning. May your spirit work and and you be the center of attention. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jonah hears from God. Man, that's got to be incredible all by itself, doesn't it? Just Just to be part of what God's doing and then then God speaks. He says, Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh. Because I recognize what Nineveh is and who the people are there. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it. Basically saying, Joan, I want you to go and I want you to show them how bad they are. I want you to declare that. Go there, for their wickedness has come up before me. Did it catch God by surprise? think so. Had Nineveh, had had they been a wicked city? Sure. Had they been against Israel? Sure. But was God going to use this situation to teach us some things? Well, first thing I want us to, to realize as we look at this, because Jonah had no intention of reaching out to the Ninevites, is that God reveals his heart and his holiness. He reveals his heart and his holiness. So the very first part of this, Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, is that that heart of God that says, I care for that group of people. You may not not think that, but anytime God ever sends somebody to go tell people about their sin and their, their disposition away from God or their place separated from God, it is in God's mercy that he is declaring his heart is that none should perish, that everyone should come to repentance. 
So this is not out of God's character. This is right in the center of God's character where he says, I care for them and I want them to know me. So Jonah, I want you to arise and go. And I would say for us, that's one of the declarations for us, isn't it? Arise, go. Quit sitting in the pew and go do it. Arise and go. But then the second part of this is His holiness. For their wickedness has come up before me. It does not take a genius to understand that when you are perfectly holy, that you understand when something is not. We do it. And we understand who we are. We look in the mirror and we say, and if we really spend much time, and I don't know if you've ever done that. You just stopped and looked in the mirror, but stayed there for a while. It may look kind of weird if somebody walks in on you. But I would say, you know, when you can get alone, just go and look in the mirror. And ask this question, who am I? What does my life really stand for? And what is my disposition before a holy God? You spend much time there, you realize that, that you fall short of God's holiness, His perfection in a big, big way. And so you start to recognize, God, I am in need of your mercy and your grace. And so Jonah hears this, and, he's, and for God has seen the wickedness of the Ninevites because it has come up before him, not that it's not on the agenda, but it, it was one of those things where he's telling Jonah, I want you to go, and I want you to declare it. And something's going to happen if you do that. See, the rest of this book is not a surprise to, to God either. God knows how the people of Nineveh are going to respond to the word of the Lord. So Jonah goes to proclaim God's wrath and the people will respond. It's that Isaiah 55 passage. Here's what it says. 55.11 says, So shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty or void without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. If we look at that and we say, Okay, God, if your word goes and it accomplishes what it's supposed to, according to your plan, then Jonah, knowing that, if he goes, what happens? people of Nineveh, Nineveh that I don't even like come to know who God is. And I might even have to spend eternity with them. And there's a part of us that when we go to the store and see somebody and we say they don't deserve God's mercy, we're actually saying, I don't think I want to spend eternity with you because you're not worthy of God. Man. That should, that puts guilt on us our job is to go understanding the heart of God and his holiness in the midst of their wickedness God, God was closing a gap for the Ninevites the second thing is that Jonah reveals his disgust through his departure look what it says but Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord now that's a funny statement it's like God's over here, but he's not over here. And so if I leave here where God is and I run over here, I can get away. Then you know, that, you know the truth of that. 
There is no way you can escape God's presence. You can't flee from Him. You can't go and hide. Yet it says he went to flee from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, which was about as far as he could get away from wherever he was. Paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So if I can get on this boat at this place and I can start to head as far away as I possibly can, where I think God might not be, then I can get away from God. It says he went down into it. He got into the bottom of the boat. It's the idea, if, if you want to hide, then you hide, and you hope nobody sees you. It's a little bit of hide and seek with God, and hide and seek with God doesn't work real well. But it's, it's almost, if you, you played this game with a child, like a preschooler, you you get them to close their eyes or they close their, they do this number, you can't see me. I guarantee I can see you, but I'm going to pretend like I can't. Jonah's one of those, God, you can't see me. I'm hiding down here in the bottom of the boat. And God's thinking, I can see you. You're not real bright, but I can see you. So he goes down into the bottom of the boat to hide from God. And the Lord hurled hurled a great wind on the sea. And there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up or shatter, just get destroyed. And where's Jonah? Then the sailors became afraid and every man cried to his God. And they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship laying down and falling sound asleep. I agree. How silly. But I've done it. If I want to avoid something, I try and go to sleep and hope it'll go away by the time I wake up. And yet, that's exactly what Jonah's doing. He says, if I get down here where I don't think God can see me and then I can go to sleep, maybe when I wake up, all things will be different. It's, It's... a calmer version of what those that seek after drugs and alcohol and use as an addiction, when when they're in the middle of it, they will jump to that, hoping that all their troubles will go away if they if they land there. And what happens is is they get high and do all that stuff, and then they crash. And when they wake up, they realize that all their problems are still right there beside them. It's just gotten worse. So Jonah's trying to do this avoidance thing and. That's really hard when you're trying to avoid God. And so the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? How can you do that? Get up, call on your God. Now, now this is kind of funny because there's two things happening here. One is you've got a group of guys that have been on the sea and they're panicked and they're starting to throw things overboard and Jonah doesn't seem to even notice. Like, where is Jonah? I don't know. Have you seen Jonah? I haven't seen Jonah. So they go find him. They say, why are you sleeping? And not only are you not helping us throw things overboard so that we will survive this, but you're not even paying attention, nor are you praying. So the captain approached him. How is it you're sleeping? Get up. Call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. It's interesting what the captain says because what he's revealing is we've prayed. 
We've prayed to all the gods that we know about. Nothing's happening. There's no change in this. And so, Jonah, would you mind? How about you praying? Pray to your God. And they don't recognize who Jonah's God is, but they do know something about Jonah's God. Or they do know something about Jonah and the relationship between Jonah and his God. It says, And each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots, so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they, they basically did a magic eight ball kind of thing, and they realized that Jonah is the culprit of whatever's going on around us. And so it's it, kind of a weird scenario that pinpoints that Jonah is in this place of responsibility. And they understand it. Then they said to him, tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? This is verse 8. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? So he gives gives them a little bit more information on the heels of that. But they were about to break up. And all this conversation, and they realized Jonah is responsible. I don't know if you've ever been in a spot where you were responsible for breaking something. There was a, a time in my life, and I, I, I'm not a real clumsy person naturally, but it seems as though every time I picked up something that my mom made that was ceramics, it didn't survive. I don't know what the deal was. I mean, it could be a, it could be a bowl, it could be a dog, it could be you know anything that she made. If I picked it up, it was broke, and I couldn't get around it. So I just stopped picking up stuff. I wanted to get around it. And so I would avoid contact with that. So these guys are trying to avoid being shattered, broken up, and and perishing. And they go to Jonah, and they say, Are you not concerned? Will you not pray? And by the way, where are you from? Jonah, the third thing is that Jonah identifies with God's uniqueness. So tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? So they pinpointed Jonah, start asking him questions, and he answers in verse 9. He says, and he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. But it's interesting because he declares this thing that even Peter avoided. That Jonah is, is saying, yeah, I fear the Lord God who, who made all this. So look around. He made it. 1, 15 through 17, where it says that he made everything and everything is held together by him. It's the one that, says, that talks about in Psalm 86, 7, 8. In the day of trouble I shall call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. There is no one like thee among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like thine. So the one that Jonah identifies in verse 9 is the God of the universe, the creator God. And so they became very frightened. It says in verse, in verse 10, Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. I don't, I'm trying to imagine this scenario. That Jonah shows up in Joppa and he's looking for a ship going far away. 
And he says, look, guys, I need, a, I need a boat ride. Here's the money. I'll go down to the bottom of the ship. I'm avoiding God. Thanks. Goes down to the bottom of the ship. All this stuff happens. And then Jonah reveals that, hey, we're in this predicament because I'm avoiding God. I told you I was. And you got to think that maybe these sailors, these guys that were running this ship, it says that they prayed to their gods. They had no relationship with the God of the universe. They had no relationship with Christ. And this thing that was happening to them, they didn't really understand who was in charge. Jonah reveals exactly who's in charge, that it's God. See, God gets our attention. And I think he got the sailors' attention. He had Jonah's attention. But getting our attention is not equal with submission. God can get our attention, but not always our submission. So it says that they did this. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For they knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And so they said to him, What should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And so in the middle of all this, they're having this conversation, and the storm's getting worse and worse and worse. We were driving around yesterday, and it was interesting because we saw the clouds, and we, I wasn't really paying attention to which way they were coming in from. So we're driving, and we were driving just fast enough that we could get beyond the edge of the rain. And so we're, we're driving, and it's coming down, it's pouring down and everything, and we get on this road, and I'm looking up ahead, and it's dry. And I could see exactly where the rain stopped. And as we approached that, I could see the, the water hitting the ground, and then all of a sudden it just stopped, and we, we were able to turn off the windshield wipers and the whole bit. And that's kind of what they were looking for. They were looking for the edge of this storm. If it would just stop, then we could survive and we wouldn't have to worry about our ship breaking up or throwing any more things overboard. Jonah answered and said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. I don't know. I don't know if Jonah believed that. I don't know if Jonah was playing the martyr and saying, yeah, it's because of me. If you'll just throw me overboard, you'll be out of this. And we really don't know what happened uh, other than they threw him overboard. If he had stayed on the boat, what would have happened to the guys on the boat? We don't really know that. Because... He says this, and however the men rode desperately to return to land, they could not, for the sea was becoming even, even stormier against them. And then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us. For thou, O Lord, hast done as thou hast pleased. And so they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. What a desperate situation. I don't, I've been out on some lakes. We went on a cruise several years ago, and I'm thinking, this thing gets stormy. I don't want anybody throwing me overboard. Whether I'm the cause of something or not, I don't want that to be what they resort to. 
Who's responsible? You are. Well, then we'll just throw you overboard. No thanks. I'll take my chances on this boat. I will try and hold it together for you. But that's not where Jonah was. He says, throw me overboard. They rode harder, redirected their prayer, all, in the, all to save themselves. It's interesting. Throwing Jonah overboard was not an act of submission as much as it was an act of survival, an attempted survival. Jonah, you said it would calm down if we throw you overboard, and so here you go. And so they throw him overboard, and at that, God reveals his magnificent mercy. The last part of this says, Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So the men on the ship, after they threw Jonah over and things calmed down, they looked and said, Oh, now we know who you're running from. So they feared the Lord greatly, and so their relationship to God changed. And then verse 17 says, And the Lord appointed or assigned a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. You say, well, how is that merciful? And so they pick up Jonah, they throw him overboard, and they're watching. See, what's going to happen? Is he just going to sink, you know, bubbles and the whole bit? Is he gone? But then this great fish comes along and swallows him. And that doesn't sound like a good scenario, does it? I watched a video this morning where they pulled out this fish off this boat. I don't know if you saw it. That was on Facebook. I was kind of goofing around a little bit this morning and saw this fish. And I thought, I would not want to be swallowed by that or any other fish. It says the Lord assigned a fish to come by and pick up Jonah. Now, he didn't get to ride his back. Wasn't a dolphin kind of thing. He swallowed him. So you, can you imagine the guys on the boat? They're looking out over the water. They throw Jonah overboard. And this fish comes up like we, we've been fishing with Jonah's all night. And so they, they throw him over and this fish comes by and just takes him. And they're thinking, see you, Jonah. There's no chance that they'll ever see him again, right? And that's the idea. And yet in God's mercy, we understand how this this story plays out as we look through the rest of the book that, that Jonah's not gone. He's just swallowed up by God's mercy. Because without that fish, Jonah dies. Without God's mercy, Jonah dies. It says, Then the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. I don't know what it's like in the stomach of a fish. I've not studied it. I've never been there. So I have no idea. But all I can think of when I think about Jonah in this scenario is the questions that Jonah would ask. I think that one of the questions would be, will I even survive this? And, and wasn't it better on the boat than in the stomach of a fish? I would, I would think that'd be a valid question. And we kind of ask that too, don't we? Would it not be better if I went backwards than forward? What was is surely better than what is to come. And so sometimes we spend our lives looking in the rearview mirror instead of looking forward and saying, God, what do you want? I think that's where Jonah was. 
says, if I could just get back to dry land, if I could get out of the belly of the fish, if I could have not gotten on the boat, wouldn't life have been, had been better? This was very similar to what the Israelites did when they came out of Egypt, saying, man, I wish I could go back in time. Wish I could do that. Second question I think he might ask is, what is my next stop? I mean, it, I don't know. There's, there's really no precedent for getting swallowed by a fish, is there? Now there is. But back then it was like, if I get swallowed by a fish, I guess I'm just done. So what's my next stop? Is it the grave? I think not. Jonah had some, some things that were going to happen in his life that would redirect him and, and push him forward instead of backward. And then the third question, and the question we could ask is, does God hear us from here? From the belly of a fish, does God hear? So we may be in a spot this morning. You may be in a spot. You say, I'm kind of feeling like there's no mercy and a little put out. And I'm not sensing God's presence. Does God hear me? We're going to read as we get further into this that, that God does hear. He's very aware. And God in His mercy brings on us situations to grow us and stretch us. And I think He was doing that with Jonah. So Jonah did not want to extend mercy to the Assyrians, to the people of Nineveh. And so what God did was He got His attention and in getting his attention, took him to a place where it was just him and God. And that's a place that we need to visit. It's that place in front of the mirror where we look in the mirror and we see ourselves and we see the need for God, but we stop long enough to say, God, what do you want with the person that I'm looking at? What do you want to do in that person's life? So if we're willing to spend enough time there, and allow God to speak to us in that situation. We realize that what he has planned for us is much better than what we've already been through. Now it may be difficult. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. But you maturing in Christ is of, of greater value than staying the way that you are. As good as you are. As wonderful as you are. God is still working on you. And he's still working on me. And he's not finished, not only extending his mercy, but extending his grace so that we can live out what he's purposed to do in and through us. That Remember the tragedy? Not doing what you're designed to do? Today is one of those times where you say, God, I want to be open to whatever you want in my life. And as tough as it is, whatever it takes to get there, Help me to be obedient to you. I look at this and, and I think about the wrestling that takes place in Jonah's heart. How he was put out by those that he was supposed to go talk to. And yet God worked a situation that would bring him to a place where he would say, yes, Lord. At some point he would say, yes, Lord, whatever you want. Nineveh did not deserve God's mercy. 
In fact, the person that lives next to you, wherever you live, doesn't deserve God's mercy. In fact, you don't deserve God's mercy. I don't deserve God's mercy. What I deserve, what you deserve, what our neighbors deserve, what the people of Nineveh deserve, was God's wrath because of sin. And yet, because God is a God that loves us with an immeasurable love, a faithful love, He has extended to us mercy and grace. He has demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God knew that for Jonah. He knew that for the Ninevites. He knows that for us and He knows that for our neighbors. He knows that for those that are coming into this country from somewhere else and those from here that will go somewhere else. God is a God of mercy and love. And He extends that to us today. And the question will be, is will our heart be soft enough to follow what God's called us to do? Will we be open to that? Will we be inconvenienced enough or allowed to be inconvenienced enough to reach those that God has on His heart? And so for us, me and you, playing church is not an option. Playing church is not an option. We have to be the church. We have to be the church that God's called us to be so that we can reach the people that God's called us to reach. And anything short of that is tragedy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. And God, we may in our, in our own desire, in our own want, in our own comfort, Say, God, there are people around us that don't deserve you. And yet, Father, you stretch us and teach us through the life of Jonah that our heart needs to reflect your heart. And, Father, we need to extend the mercy that you extended to Jonah, but that you wanted to extend to the Ninevites. And so, Father, I pray in this place today that we would make the commitment to be your people, called on mission by you to be the church to those around us. Not play church, but be. And so, God, I pray that that you will help us to catch that. Father, we want you to be glorified in that. For just like the sailors recognized that you were God, God, we would love for those around us to recognize you as God as well and give their lives to you and experience the peace and joy that only comes through a relationship with Christ. And so, Father, I pray you'll work in us first. Revive us as your people called by your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church, we welcome you to join us next Sunday at 10.30 a.m. for our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, then please share it with others and check out our ministries at ebcconnect.org.